Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> X-Men Apocalypse. Things are better. The world is better. Just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. He's coming. Some call him Apocalypse. He was some kind of god. For thousands of years, he's been amassing mutants to take their powers. He always had four followers. Like the four horsemen. Eric, don't join them. Whatever it is you think you saw in me, I buried it with my family. Together. Fantastic. Okay, right now, like I said, I'm, I'm now working with Windows 10. When I say working, I mean grappling. So... <laughs> Uh, it's more like I, I might have to trick it into actually working for me. So I, I, I really hope that this this works. Uh, okay. New version is available. Click OK to update now. I click on the <laughs> X mark, which always means leave me alone. And it goes, oh, you want to go straight there? X doesn't mean yes. It doesn't mean OK. It means go away. X means no, I don't want Windows 8 anymore or whatever it was you were on. <sighs> Yeah, X means you do as we tell you. Yeah, unfortunately, now they're f essentially forcing it on people because they're they're cancelling the free, like the free offer. So they're trying to make sure everybody gets it, no matter what. Okay. Means. Right. Okay. So, everybody ready? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and Jerome, are you recording it at your end? Yep. Cool. Cool. Right. And thank God that he did. What I'm talking about here is that um, yesterday morning when I came down to my computer, it was already downloading and installing the update from Windows 8 to Windows 10. It forced it onto my system. I didn't want it, but it forced it on. Um, I lost last night's recording, guys. I, we, we, when we were you know, doing the, the, the podcast, it, it just didn't record because of some incompatibility with Windows 10 uh, or, or something. This is after a day of grappling with um, Audacity uh, editing next week's podcast and every single time I took an action like I'll just cut this five seconds worth of stuff, it took 30 seconds to push through. Just basic incompatibility or something, my computer was running like a dog's breakfast. They forced that on my system. And we lost the show. So apologies for the audio quality on this one. It was actually the one recorded from Jerome's end. Uh, it's not fantastic in terms of quality relative to my regular show, but at least he got it. Otherwise, you never would have heard this. So be thankful. Be thankful for the X-Men Apocalypse Review. You're now about to hear the ranty, angry X-Men Apocalypse Review because it's ranty and angry. Either way, I've rolled back from Windows 10 to Windows 7. When I get a new PC, it'll have Windows 10 already installed and I'll enjoy Windows 10, I'm sure. It'll be what it's originally, you know, it'll be set up for Windows 10. But what nobody likes is having stuff like that forced on them, especially not if they work with their computer every day and it's so old and creaky it can't take Windows 10. Didn't have a good day yesterday. Did no have a good day. That happened. Then I had to watch X-Men Apocalypse. Then I had to talk about X-Men Apocalypse, which is a bit better. So let's enjoy that. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to be peppering the episode tonight with music from 1983, which... Brian Singer and company neglected to do. How the hell do you do a 
Mexican period movie set in the 80s and not have a kick-ass fucking soundtrack. Let's start with Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Two Tribes. It's obvious, it just writes itself. When you hear the air attack warning, you and your family must take cover. Interjection, future Alex. Frank goes to Hollywood's Two Tribes was made in 1984, not 1983. Well done, past Alex. That's correct. And my version of X-Men Apocalypse would have been set in 1984, the best year of the 80s. Because I was four, and I saw Ghostbusters. With me are Sharon Shaw, who has not seen this movie. And hello. Hello. And Jerome McIntosh of Gameburst, who has. Good day, sir. Good day. And thank you for coming on at relatively short notice. No problem. The following is from the point of view of a fan of X-Men since the Jim Lee era and the first animated show. And Sharon, you've been a fan of X-Men since, what, then? Yeah? Um, little, da, da, da. What year? Was it I actually, st- I think I started reading the comics before then. All right. Oh, it must have, no, it must have been around the same time because I think it was the the cartoon made me get the British reprint comics, and then that made me start hunting yeah. down the old um, like New Mutants and stuff like that. Yeah, the reprint comics were a, uh, a reaction to the cartoon, so it was almost exactly the same time. Um, so, and Jerome, you were you? I can't remember. Did you start watching this because they were re-screening X Men in the nineties, or when were you a fan? Yeah, mine was because the original cartoon uh, series on Fox Kids. I like many of the shows that started before they reran it, and then uh, my cousin was into the com- all the Marvel com- Marvel comics at the time. So then I started. He caught me up with everything, and I've been a fan ever since. Not that I'm going to go about fan gatekeeping, by the way. I find that fa- fairly repellent um, habit within mm. like, nerd, nerd culture. But as far as I'm concerned, if you like X-Men, you like X-Men. It doesn't really matter how long you have liked X-Men or how, how much you like X-Men on a likeometer. It's more a case of this gives context to what I'm about to say. Um, okay, so mine's more about film than it is about X-Men because for the past 16 years, since the first long-awaited X-Men movie came out... Uh, they, they've been incredibly important for cinema. We've seen the rise of the superhero, as well as advances in writing, in scale, in performance, in subtlety and nuance, and emotional complexity within big sci-fi movies that in some high-point cases leave even the greats of the 80s and 90s feeling a little blunt and unsophisticated. So... Just reeling a bunch off the top of my head here. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Jason Bourne, Spider-Man, three of them. Hellboy, Narnia, Serenity, Daniel Craig's Bond, Mission Impossible, three through five. The Dark Knight, Star Trek, the rise and dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Super 8, The Hunger Games, Pacific Rim, Mad Max Fury Road, renewed Star Wars and everything that Marvel has done. 
It is thus with a heavy heart that I can tell you that in the same way that I called Batman v Superman as a grimy, stupid, mismanaged punch-up from the first trailer, in the same way I knew for sure that Civil War was going to thread together the Marvel Universe into a veritable super-powered epic opera charged with heart, I knew from the first released picture of X-Men Apocalypse that we would be looking at a relic from the 1990s that appeared to leap over all that progress that was made since Singer first pootled his TV-grade X-Men onto the screen, the big screen, for their entirely whelming debut to actually deliver something worse. That first mediocre film had three good performances from two seasoned actors and a newcomer. I challenge you to find that in here. Again, so the key issue I noticed in that first trailer is there's no focus or hero in this. Rather than being the Wolverine show like the first four X-Men films and the Wolverine, or about Charles and Eric as with the first class and Days of Future Past films, this seems to be all about all of the X-Men in equal measure, which could have been great because it means an ensemble piece and there's no Wolverine to overshadow anybody else. That only works if there's going to be character development and there is none. It's only an ensemble piece if it feels like there's a group rather than just an assembly of actors all asked to stand in the same space in costume. And the scattergun of characters fired at the screen means that we end up getting about seven minutes with each of them, only one of whom undergoes something eventful and whose story is left flapping in the wind like an unruly foresail. My main problem beyond that was the script by Simon Kinberg. This guy wrote X-Men 3, Days of Future Past, This Means War, Jumper, Fan Forstick, and somehow Sherlock Holmes and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. The words on show were slow and stupid and exposition heavy, and it wasn't really about anything. In basic terms, Apocalypse shows up in modern times, launches our nuclear warheads into space, wrecks Cairo, either killing millions of people or nobody because you never see any bodies, shaves Charles's head, and then dies. That's it. That's the film. That is the film. Many powers from the comic are fired off on screen in the same manner as all of Singer's previous X-Men movies, like an expensive but not impressive fireworks display carried out by models in cosplay. Kinberg and Singer seem cemented into this franchise. We can't get rid of them! And that's why, for the same far-reaching meta-reasons as Beavis Dodge and its horribly burrowed-in effect on the future DC universe that merits it my current most hated film, this one is my second most hated. Not because it's so technically poor, but because it's just humdrum enough to entertain some people, earn this instalment enough money to keep this pattern going, and keep these two fellows in place. Yeah, this is all really coming from envy on my part because I really wish I was writing the X-Men films or directing them. Jesus effing Christ, do I wish I was writing X-Men. Because I know X-Men. And I know how to write a coherent ensemble piece. So now Jerome and I are going to take you through the events of the film in the hope that our descriptions are more entertaining than the actual film. Because there was a point that... I suddenly and strongly wanted this movie to be over, and I'll, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I'll see if I can remember exactly where it was. Either way, I would spare you guys the same feeling. I'm sure it'll come to you. <laughs> so, Sharon, um, do you want to see this now? 
No. Okay, good. Frankly. Go, go, with, go with the feeling. Let's, um, <laughs> let's not draw this one out, shall we? We'll try to keep it fun, because I don't want to just moan on like an old git. But, um, I mean, as I just said, not much happens in this. It's so it's such an installment. It's such a sort of a another X-Men and moving on. We'll have another one in a bit. I mean, it, it wouldn't be so obviously such a waste of the franchise if it wasn't for Deadpool just coming out recently in a way that makes the X-Men seem actually real and part of a universe. It feels like they they wasted a wonderful chance that they made with Days of Future Past because they reset everything. Okay, now, you know, we can put things the way we want them to. We can focus on the whole, you know, ensemble piece of the cast. You know, these are all individuals with issues that came together and they mm. wasted the potential for to me. And that, like, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> and that's the problem. Like, Batman v Superman made me angry because of how yeah. bad it was. This just like, man, really? Oh, you, oh, mm, you could have, but you didn't. And that's my reaction. <laughs> I yeah, I, mm, I I think I'm disappointed. I I am still angry because it's like, can can, can we stop? Please, please give this to other people. I mean, I, I tweeted this the other day. Brian Singer's not even our our, our second best X Men director. He's our fourth best, after Matthew Vaughn, uh, Tim Miller's the guy who did Deadpool, um, and I think it was was it James Mangold who did The Wolverine. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just double check this one. Hold on. Uh, James Mangold, because I don't want to get him confused with. Uh, uh, yeah, he did. He did the Wolverine. Okay. Um, I'm getting confused with the director of uh, X-Men Origins: Wolverine's Revenge. <laughs> that um, would be unfortunate. Uh, which, you know what? There's bits of X-Men Origins: Wolverine I prefer to this bits <laughs> <laughs> in this movie. I, I think they're actually on par. It's neither of them as, are quite as bad as X-Men Three. Well, no. <sighs> well, there, there are certain parts that I'd make a um, a correlation with to three mm. yeah okay well let's let's go through the actual events of the film and see if we can find those correlation bits okay. uh, it starts off with like this like 12 minute protracted re-imaging of Stargate where um it's like so it's it's in ancient Egypt Sharon and they're all going en savanur en savanur you're like oh yeah apocalypse and apparently like apocalypse is this alien or something we don't know so there's that and apocalypse like, they never really explained apocalypse that's the thing yeah he's like maybe he's a mutant they sort of said like he jumps from body to body and he can like yeah. there's this old apocalypse who jumps into an unconscious new body um, Oscar Isaac of new of uh, yeah and then there's sort of like apparently the hieroglyphs speak of apocalypse you know jumping from mutant to mutant which well hang on a second I thought if he was the first mutant but he's an alien and is that guy an alien is, is there See, any aliens I, I don't because there was a lot of special tech which doesn't look like just regular tech yeah I I don't think he's actually a, an alien. I think he's a mutant, but he has very interesting design philosophies. So it looks like alien technology because he seems it, he he make he, apparently the thing that he's wearing he's made it himself because right. of his ambiguous powers that he has. I made this bad <laughs> cosplay. Yeah. So. Everything that you see him wearing in the movie, like, that's not something someone's made for him or something he's 
that's just how he likes things to look. This is the main title theme by John Ottman, which is a reprise of the X2 title theme, same as they did in uh, Days of Future Past. Different to the original X-Men 1 theme. That was by Michael Kamen anyway, and he's dead and John Ottman's still alive. And John Ottman, interestingly enough, was not just the composer for this film, but the editor. I, I, I don't know how the two go together. And I can tell you right now, he's not accomplished at either. And was this a recurring theme on set? Did everyone take two jobs they weren't good at? Was Brian Singer not only a mediocre director, but a mediocre T-boy as well? And it seems like they're like, uh, let's all be in agreement that X2 was the touchstone for this series, and that was when everything was great. And, you know, we all want to go back to that, and not X-Men First Class, with that wonderful Henry Jackman theme that I played for you just now that made you think, oh, maybe X-Men Apocalypse isn't as bad as he's saying. No, 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 I'm just playing old, really, really good music. That doesn't mean, like, it's it's John Ottman music. It's not what you just heard. It's not the Magneto theme. It's not good X-Men. It's old, bad X-Men. Same as when it was X2 and we all told ourselves, oh, this is a really good X-Men film. It's not a really, really good X-Men film. It's the best X-Men film we had at the time. We've had way better since then and way better everything. So let's all think about X2, shall we? And like, you know, a, a, a strong, silent, Asian woman who looks beautiful and deadly and fights the good guy because she's Deathstrike, because she's Psylocke and has no actual agency. That's how far Bryant Singer hasn't come. Um, but but they, they talk about him jumping from body to body and, and like taking their mutations as he goes. That, 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 surely, if he was you know moving his consciousness to a new body, he would be restricted by what that body could do. See, you'd think that, Alex. Ah, but, but the um, consciousness carries the mutation with it because science. See, mm. he has the power to have many powers. He's Bullrun. I, I, I think you're missing the point here, Alex. The thing they're trying to get across is. Apocalypse is the shit. He is totally. He is the shit. Let's let's list his powers, shall we? He can. Well, first off, his main one seems to be boosting other other mutants' powers. His eyes go white and he pokes them with his finger and they go, whoa, mutant power! (laughs) That's his number one. What others? Matter manipulation? Sort of melt you into a wall or the floor. Well, no, he literally dissolves people as well. He's also incredibly powerful psychically. Regeneration. Yeah, he can touch a TV screen and learn about the internet from TV. Yeah, not quite sure how that one works. Um, because science. That he would be so behind, but because he touches a TV, yeah. he knows everything. Weird teleportation powers. Yeah, he could teleport in and out. He's got these doors that he can sort of jump in and out of. And uh, take people face. That's special power. <laughs> Apparently, his whole appearance is a power or something, because heaven forbid he just looks like the person he's transferred into. Wouldn't it have been like uh, Oscar Isaac? Just he's gone from like being like I hated him before I saw <laughs> Star Wars, then I loved him in Star Wars, and now I just feel sorry for him because it's like I realise now that it's not Oscar's fault when he's stuck in these awful roles. He's you know he gives it his all, I suppose. Um, but you know when he gets a really great role, that's when you got to cheer for him. 
This is not one of those times. This is Pat Benatar. Love is a battlefield. Because you know the X-Men fighting on a battlefield and they love each other. So, 1983. Lay some Pat Benatar on you. So yeah, Apocalypse himself... Like he's jumping into the body of Oscar Isaac, and then the the uh, the Egyptians betray him, and then they lock him in his pyramid. And Joanne, was there supposed to be a scene where Apocalypse breaks out of his pyramid? Because it really feels like someone was supposed to break in there, you know? Yeah. He's just suddenly in a marketplace, walking around like Doctor Doom in the Fantastic Four movies. See, they have the whole thing where he's woken up, and he clears the rubble from around himself. I think. But then it cuts around to people reacting to it, to that, and next thing you know, he's in the market. Did I nod off at that point? Because it feels like I should have seen that. Yeah, basically what happens is, um, uh, the, uh, Moira comes in, she leaves the hatch open, the sun comes through, through the, um, the lid thing that activates the body transference thing, that wakes him up, um, he... Oh, that's another thing of his ambiguous powers. He has an energy field thing that he uh-huh. expands and then he essentially pushes all the rubble away from him so he can get out. But you don't gotcha. actually see him walk out. I uh, I can't. I feel like I'm Mr. Real. Because <laughs> then it cuts to um, the Xavier Institute and the whole earthquake thing. Yeah. Okay, so um, in Cairo, uh, Apocalypse wakes up, and he didn't wake up in the original timeline, folks, because this uh, this is a new occurrence. Uh, so this didn't happen in the original X-Men timeline. It only happens in the new timeline, thanks to the events of Days of Future Past. Yeah. And I've heard Simon Kinberg say in interviews, oh, well, you know, it's a new timeline, so we can do, you know, there's all sorts of things that have changed. Um got quite a few questions about certain characters as you've been in the future and now at the same time but uh, we'll save them for a bit so yeah it's, this takes place in 83 which is 10 years after the events of Days of Future Past which is 10 years after the events of uh, X-Men First Class so basically 20 years have passed yeah. since the really good X-Men film and it feels like that when you're watching it and occasionally they flash back to uh, First Class and I'm like Oh, don't show me the really good one. You're just holding it in more sharp contrast. We cut to Scott Summers, uh, and uh, he's getting itchy eyes in class, goes to the toilet, blows a hole in this ceiling. Uh, bullies banged on the door because apparently he blinked at his girlfriend, and he shoot. Mm. He opens his eyes and shoots the guy through the door, then mm. into the ceiling. And I don't and think his... anybody notices, or mm. nobody calls the cops or anything, because next thing you know, he's in his bedroom at home. Yeah, and his 37-year-old brother, Havoc, is going, Oh, man, now my little brother has got moon powers. i got to take you to my buddy, Charles. And then they go to uh, Xavier's Academy. And it's basically showing exactly like it was set up in the original X-Men in 2000. So you've got lo- loads of kids, you know, learning and doing the stuff. But, but the X-Men aren't really in, you know, active doing mm. X-Men things. Rather like in X-Men in 2000, because the X-Men weren't really doing X-Men things back then, because they only had Storm, Cyclops, and a character named Jean Grey. That's not even... That's two girls and a bloke! That's not even X-Men! <laughs> <laughs> they... They really missed the trick here. Like, when you go to the Xavier Institute, you're supposed to see the students using their powers in, in like, just around... 
like that's one of the best sort of scenes that you can have an introduction yeah. to the Xavier we, student. So yeah, we, we get to meet Scott and then Sophie Turner comes out and she's Jean Grey. And uh, Sharon, what do you think Sophie Turner, TV's Sansa Stark, would be like as Jean Grey? Uh, wet lettuce is the word. Yes, yes, she's a wet lettuce. Right, so moving on, there's uh, Nightcrawler. Well, well, no, you, you forget the amazing introduction between her and Scott. Now, Scott walks in, he's got a bandage around his head. He bumps into him cause, her because, you know, he can't see. She tells him, watch where you're going. With her mind. This sounds scintillating. <laughs> and he says, I can't, because I can't see. And Shut Havoc up, Scott. Says, and Havoc says, who are you talking to? And she says, he's talking to me. I was talking to you with my mind. I can do that. I'm a telepath. And I can also control matter because I am a, uh, a telekinetic. See, I do this with paper. Yep. Yep. And then all the other X-Men call her freak because she's got scary mutant powers. Yeah, yeah. In, in if there's going to be one fucking school in the world where mm. you aren't called a freak, it's here. You stupid bastards. That's kind of a problem to me. It, it would appear, like, because we get in our seven minutes with Jean, we get that she has bad dreams and makes the walls melt a bit and that Charles doesn't quite know how to, to, to deal with her. And she has flashbacks. Uh, of or flash forwards of the coming apocalypse and that scares her and it scares Charles yep that's the moment that happens it's not really it doesn't really play into the narrative but it happens this is this whole film is a series of occurrences cut to Mystique in a very tight fitting boob window dress get used to seeing Jennifer Lawrence in uh, uh, without being blue because she's blue for all of a minute and a half in this film uh, basically they're just like look we got Jennifer Lawrence we got us Jennifer Lawrence yeah. before she was famous you know why because she actually didn't want to go through the makeup process yeah. constantly. And she gets to, uh, she, she says, my, my character now doesn't give a toss about anything. And I was like, oh, so you won't even have to act either. Right. So, yeah, J-Law turns up and she sees Nightcrawler fighting Angel. Uh, and Nightcrawler is a teleporting German fellow and Angel is a guy with wings. And they put him in a cage match, which obviously, in a cage, that's that's going to be the best place to fight a giant bird. There's no way that you, the teleporter, could maybe teleport out of said cage. Yeah, um, I'm not I'm not quite sure why just an electric fence is stopping a teleporter from going through the electric fence. Like, for why some... would you even get a teleporter to fight in a cage match? Like, of all the people with all the powers. That's the power that's going to be the least cageable. Also, and your next contestant is Kitty Pride. Well, I'm also wondering why Angel is able to beat like the blob in a fist fight. Oh, he tore the blob's head clean off. Did you see the blob? The blob they hate the blob. They, they say, ladies and gentlemen, the blob, and he falls over dead because Angel like tore the top of his head off. You got this horrible great big gash on the back of his head. But the whole thing about the Blob's powers is you can't just cut him. Well, the Angel did because he's got like claws on his wings. Angel's powers are just mainly having wings. <laughs> well, that makes him an alpha class mutant that Apocalypse would choose to be his horseman. I mean, that's canon to the comics. Apocalypse did um, directly choose. Yeah. I'm fine with them using Angel, but... this is indeed Warren, he's never called Warren. Yeah, that's the... Somehow, Angel has... Okay. Here's where you're... Now... It's on my list. (laughs) Yeah. We'll come back to this. Do we have to? 
Okay, I'll get a cat now. Go for it. So, this is Flock of Seagulls with their 1982 hit, I Ran, and then in parentheses, So Far Away. Like an Arabic or African version of this was playing on a radio in the marketplace in Cairo, so they almost had this song in the film. Apologies for the sudden change in sound again. My Blue Yeti microphone that I've used for years has suddenly, apropos of nothing, decided to stop accepting the mic cable in the back. It's just like, you know, just like pushing in and just nothing now. Just nothing. Just looks pretty, no. So now I've gone to my secondary mic and I'm going to have to buy another Blue Yeti. This is not my week. Let me tell you, folks. Flog of Seagulls. I walk along the avenue I never thought I'd meet a girl like you Meet a girl like you With open hair and tawny eyes The kind of eyes that hypnotize me through Hypnotize me through If, if anybody remembers like we want to forget but in the third movie Angel was was in the modern day and he was the son of the senator who's trying to pass the anti-mutant law. Now somehow, because of Days of Future Past, this kind either he's the same person completely transformed or he's a different version with the exact same powers. He's a 17-year-old boy born seven years before the timeline converged in uh, 1973. That makes no sense at all, Simon Kinberg. Stop using that as an excuse, you idiot. And he's British now. Uh, Because they never call him Warren. They just call him Angel. He's just the power, which is what Simon Kinberg and uh, Brian Singer do. They go, well, here's the power, but the power. Psylocke is called Psylocke. She yeah. never even gets called Bex- Betsy or Quannon. Like, you know, like we don't even know which Psylocke she is. And it's, we've come to one of my major... Compl- like, you they completely wasted Angel and Psylocke. Yep. Especially Psylocke. Like, I love Psylocke. Her powers are so interesting, you know, back, her backstory is interesting. In this one, I have no idea why she's doing anything. Literally, I have no idea why she joins Apocalypse of her own free will, apparently. And um, we'll come to what she does afterwards. And I don't know why she does that either. Apocalypse is on a recruitment drive at this stage. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Angel, like, uh, okay, Mystique gets Nightcrawler out of the cage fight, takes him to Westchester round about the same time that Cyclops turns up. And Cyclops and Nightcrawler and Jean are like, hey, let's go to the mall. Yeah, let's go to the mall. These mouth breathers. Okay. Go to the mall. Don't forget the. I quite like this little cameo they did. They put Jubilee in there. Yeah. And her clothes actually make sense for the time she's in for once. And they go on a uh, joyride. Since, since we've mentioned them all already now, let's just do, do these now, because I've got some questions mostly about the Four Horsemen. Um, you've already said the Warren Worthington Third is the same age in, in 1983 as he was in 2006. Maybe it's a different guy with different wings who's yeah. also called Angel. Not to be confused with Angel, the girl from 1964. Jubilee. Okay. There's a Jubilee in X-Men 2000. And she also turns up again in X-Men 3. Jubilee's in the future, but she's also here. The problem that they've done throughout this is they just they have... Haven't, they just chucked her in the background again! They haven't give. They don't name people. Like, nobody calls it 
each other by their first name anymore. This is what I said about uh, uh, Days of Future Past when uh, uh, Wolverine says to... <laughs> when James says to Charles, yeah. uh, you're going to have some students in the future. Uh, Scott, Jean, Storm. Her name's not Storm. Mm-hmm. You just don't trust people to know who Aurora Monroe is. Okay. In which so, case, why are you making X-Men movies? There is no interest in developing character and history here. It is about, a, it's a parade of costumes and powers, and it's always been that. That's why I'm sick of this fucking series. Okay, so Psylocke is also in X-Men 3. She's, she's, oh, not yeah. she's one of the Morlocks. She's totally there. But this Psylocke, is it Elizabeth Betsy Braddock, sister of Brian Braddock, a.k.a. Captain Britain, in the, as in the comics, or is she the Asian lady, Quanon, a.k.a. Revanche, who dresses like Electra because it was the 80s and because ninjas, and who body-swapped permanently with Betsy in the Uncanny X-Men issue 256 in December of 1989, before eventually Quanon's mind in Betsy's body succumbed to the legacy virus. That's what happened in the comics. Why does Psylocke's psychic knife, which is supposed to just cause immense mental pain, chop through cars? Why does it then become a whip? This is Devo with Whip It, 1980. Just for you, Psylocke. If that is indeed your real name. Is she the alternate version of Psylocke who turned up in the 2005 10th anniversary limited series of the Age of Apocalypse storyline who was Asian for no given reason and could affect physical matter with her psychic knives because so very many reasons? Yes. Why was there a need to add extra boob windows and remove even more bits from Psylocke's costume? Was the original not quite sexy or revealing enough? Why didn't Psylocke say anything much at all or have any agency? Was she just a bit of totty employed to stand there and look cool and then leap about selling tickets? Yes. Do Kinberg and Singer know the difference between a character and a booth babe? And by this I mean no offence to actual booth babes, but they would be the first to admit that the people that they are put in front of to sell to don't want to hear what they have to say or what motivates them. Worst Psylocke moment for me isn't even really a Psylocke moment. Somewhere in the middle of the film, Eric gets taken to Auschwitz. Yeah, because Singer just loves the fact that he started his first movie in Auschwitz and that first class reprised that moment in Auschwitz and is like yeah we went there to Auschwitz let's go back there again okay so Eric gets told by Apocalypse to go to the like the the, the core of the earth and like to really start moving things and he boosts his power and uh, basically he makes Eric super mad by bringing him back to this moment of absolute um, pain and they almost seem to cap- capitalize on that whole the point between serenity and pain that um, Charles was talking about in X-Men First Class but they don't really seem to get it mm. it's the point between rage and serenity I understand it well but while they're talking they're actually at Auschwitz and it's fine it would be fine if they were standing around in clothes just regular clothes and Eric's there in, in clothes and he's, he's already hurting so badly because of what's just happened but they're in these Power Ranger costumes and Psylocke's standing there in a fucking Psylocke costume Olivia Munn's like, what the fuck am I doing? I am in Auschwitz. The site of one of the greatest atrocities of all all human history, and I'm dressed like this. 
this yeah. feels wrong. It's so tonally wrong, and no one's going to notice that moment. It's like me with noticing that stupid CGI Billy Connolly on the pig. No one else is going to notice. <laughs> no one else is going to care. But that moment, like of oh, like Storm looks silly, and and Angel looks silly, and Apocalypse looks silly, but Psylocke really looks silly because she's about sex appeal and Auschwitz. Let me just say those two words again, and just imagine, like throw up your left hand and throw up your right hand as you say those: sex appeal and Auschwitz. Now knit your fingers together. Because that's what that scene is. Most misjudged fucking scene since Sucker Punch. <sighs> okay, so... <laughs> Storm, Alexandra Ship uh, in this movie, does turn up for a little bit. And she's sort of there. Which is pretty much all Storm has done this whole series. Oh. We are now, what, seven, eight, nine X-Men movies in, and Storm has done fuck all throughout all of these movies. And she's here again, and she does some stormy stuff, and that's it. At no point does Storm have agency. At no point does Storm have any part in the plot. See, She's not even a character. She's not even really referred to as Aurora Monroe. Karen, See, sorry. When, when they started showing, like, when with their first scene, I thought, oh, she's acting as a thief leader. Maybe they're setting up the whole she's been... Like, she's being ruled by the Shadow Master, I think he was called at the, the time. The Shadow King. Yeah. Shadow King, yeah, maybe that's major what they uh, Major X-Men villain. Would be actually really great to see Charles go up against that. That is the premise of a whole mm. X-Men movie. The idea of him, like, taking... Like, that gets you your X-Men fighting X-Men in a way that kind of makes sense. Now, Especially if the Shadow King preys on people's own negative emotions and actually makes it like, okay, well, these people would feel this. Except, Eric, you mustn't have Eric in that one again. Now, this is Walk Like an Egyptian from the Bangles, admittedly in 1986. I'm kind of glad they didn't use this song because it feels like it might have been inappropriate for all the Egypt scenes. It's a great song, though. The way they seem to set things up with Storm is, oh, she's a leader of these children who, like, leave to survive. They've got their own little place. And she thinks of Mystique as a hero because, you know, she's stopped. Mystique stopped a mass murder, you know? Stopped a terrible event. She's a hero. She and shot Nixon. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, decided not to. Yeah. Forget about that, Alex, okay? <laughs> she's a hero, okay? Over there. She's a hero. Now, Apocalypse sees this and, you know, he, he says, you know, I, I want to save people. Yes, that's what I'm about. I'm not about killing people. I want to save people. You're going to help me save people. Then, for the rest of the film, he's constantly murdering people. <laughs> and she's like, I'm cool with it. Yeah, she, she's okay with this all the way through up until the... Basically... I'm going to keep cutting off about sir, this very end scene because it, it's stupid. Everybody, do, <laughs> Everybody's motivations make no sense and there's like a switch that just goes off where everybody's mindset changes, but we'll come to that. But She never goes, I can't believe I've done these terrible things and she never cries about it. She never yeah. like acts like I've, I, I, I've been a fool or I've, I've allowed him to to get me drunk on my own power there's never a sense of like that actually being a thing that she realises she's done 
Oh, you're so right, Jerome. Um, it, it, I don't think I don't I don't know if it's mind control or anything. They never really make it plain. The 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 best way I could describe Apocalypse and his personality, Sharon, would be um, if somebody uh, listened to Arlington and then took the character of Seth and then completely misinterpreted him and then did him really badly. I was actually surprised at how much of a bad Seth um, Apocalypse was. He was, you know, when he approached Storm, he was like, I want to give you power. And it was like, yeah, okay, that's a, that's an awful shit villain. He's a terrible villain. What was his motivation? He wants to destroy the world and start anew. There was never any point where it became about survival of the fittest. That is what motivates Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. the, the idea that he should he, he, he would look at people like ants. He would look at you know people like animals the and killing. just look at the life cycle and just go, right, okay, let's just accelerate this, shall we? And let these ones destroy each other. And what he actually does is when Charles goes looking for him, um, he takes control of Charles via Cerebro. He goes, thank you for letting me in. And then using one of his millions of powers, gets Charles to take control of everybody controlling all the nuclear warheads in the world and then fires them off all at once. This is Dominion Mother Russia by Sisters of Mercy. Again, it's from 1988, so way after 1983. But it's just kind of perfect for the whole Cold War metaphor that they failed to recapitalize on. But rather than then firing on Russia and then firing on America, they just fire, fly up into the upper atmosphere and stop. Because science. And then during this missile launching scene, as Bob Chipman so rightly pointed out, um, when all the American people are coming out of their homes and looking at the missiles flying up in the sky as in the thing we were most terrified of during the 80s, that's when they pull the Stan Lee cameo and you get Stan Lee staring up like, oh my god. So rather than, oh my god, you're going to get the audience going, ha ha, Stan Lee. Brilliant, brilliant use of drama there. Fantastic. Fucking well done. So... And so basically it's unilateral disarmament. But nobody actually says, this is a huge deal for the world. Unilateral disarmament is something that we've actually, was actually incredible. That makes him like a savior. Also- he gets rid of all these nuclear warheads which are being poorly stored. And the only reason Apocalypse can do that is so they can do that moment because he never does that again to Charles. Even though he's had him right, has him right in front of him the whole time. Yeah. Like the whole scene is, Charles can't stop it. Mm. Like he can't block it, but he never does it again. So he gets havoc to destroy the whole of Cerebro, to stop that happening again. So, but the, but Apocalypse doesn't need uh, Cerebro to boost Charles's power. He can still get him to talk to the uh, the whole world. And uh, there's actually the one nice bit of the movie that I think was uh, Apocalypse is saying, "Tell the whole world, or, you know, mutants, all of you who are powerful, rise up and destroy the humans." And Charles, you know, says all of this stuff, and then says, "All those who you are who are powerful, protect those who aren't." Yeah, that was a good moment. That was a good moment. Well done. Who wrote that? Um, and uh, James McAvoy really gets into that moment because he's like, oh, finally, some meat. Um, but that's the only bit that I can think of. <sighs> Eric. This is Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush from 1985. So again, a year out, but it's 
feels very appropriate for Eric. Is now living happily in a cabin in the woods. He's work. He's he's got a good, honest job as a metal worker, mm. um, and uh, he's living with a woman named Magda, which is comic accurate. And they have a daughter. And uh, a guy nearly gets crushed by a giant metal thing at his uh, work, his job, and he prevents that happening. So it stands to one side, goes like somebody did see him. Like he's not quite so- sure who did, but there are guys, oh, yeah, a few yeah, guys he, behind yeah. him. The factory workers shopped him right in, and they were like, oh, look at that. He saved that guy's life. Let's shop him in. Good mm. thinking. So but They're all so terrified of him. That, he, you know, why would a monster save a man's life and then not claim any credit for it? You know? He goes back home and he convinces his wife that they need to run, and she goes yeah. up to find the daughter now. I have no idea how she, like, they got... She left her bedroom, got downstairs, and somebody got her, but somehow they got her. So in the forest, the Polish police have turned up with their bows and arrows, and uh, there's no metal on them at all, and Eric is like, oh. Fassbender, to his credit, really plays the uh, the drama sort of reined in in this scene. He, he just, yeah. like, he realises how serious this is straight away, and says just, I'm, I'm turning myself in, just get my daughter back. Um, and then his daughter goes to Magda, and then she goes, no, don't take my daddy away. And then she takes control of all the birds in the air because um, she's that kind of mutant and starts sending the birds in to attack these guys with bows and arrows because nothing could happen that could possibly go wrong at that point. Sharon, what do you, what do you think goes wrong at that point? Well, I'm assuming that the, the wife and child get killed. Yes, uh, basically an arrow flies out and then goes straight through the back of the little girl and through the heart of the uh, w- uh, wife. Uh, Fastbender, to his credit, just, you know, my babies it's so intense and powerful and it brings you back to uh, first class Eric and then um, Magda's necklace breaks up in his hand and then he uses it coldly to kill all the policemen in like half a second just like that yeah. and then because he's a fucking idiot Brian Singer put hands up for Fastbender to go is this what you want of me no at the uh, uh, the sky, just like Wolverine does in X Men Origins, Wolverine's Revenge, and everyone snickered, um, and completely shits on a uh, otherwise uh, well played, quiet, sad, sad scene. And Eric decides uh, that because his wife and daughter are dead, that he's going to kill the whole world. Oh, because oh. Sharon, three words. Because Sharon, mm. three words. My dead family. There is a reason why I went into my dead family last week on the Civil War show folks because i knew this shit was going to happen and i needed just to sort of lay that groundwork for you all just to say this is what the laziest writers do to set up the anti-hero to do i mean basically eric from this point goes on like when, when apocalypse points him in the wrong direction goes oh okay so i i just kill everyone in the world okay i'll do that okay i'll come back to this but basically that's eric's arc in this and I, I'm going to just put, put this down on the table Eric needs to be killed Killed. Eric needs to be gone because how many fucking times is this going to happen it's getting bigger and bigger every time how many people is he going to kill next time this is a man you can't see becoming like proper Magneto like I'm all about advancing the mutant race like at this oh, point he's just a genocidal man- maniac yeah he hates everyone yep 
it's not about mutants and humans. It's just, you know, the, the, my dead family. My dead family thus excusing me for everything I'm doing here. Never mind I actually have another family and I walked out on a woman at one time who was pregnant but I never checked up on her. <laughs> they fucking pussyfooting around they do with uh, Peter in this, by the way. Let's go to Peter, shall we? Yeah. Because around about this point, um, Peter Maximoff or Pietro Maximoff, Quicksilver 1, uh, turns up um, and goes to the uh, Academy. This is about the time when, uh, just after Apocalypse has uh, fired off all the nukes. And um, Havoc... Uh, Apocalypse turns up, kidnaps Charles, goes literally goes yoink, sucks Charles into his portal and flies off. Havoc goes, I'm gonna shoot you, and then everyone goes, No, Havoc, don't. And Havoc fires a beam through to like basically hits the X jet and blows the nuclear reactor, which blows up the whole fucking school. Okay. Now at this point, Quicksilver turns. So, Sharon, what do you think Quicksilver does at the exact moment the school starts to blow up? Um, runs very, very fast. Yeah, yeah, he does. What, is, what does he do whilst he's running very, very fast? What's his task? Um, to grab everybody out of the mansion and get them out of harm's way. Yeah. Um, if the scene basically is... Quicksilver realises very soon into his run that he doesn't have time to save everyone and it's this heartbreaking slow crawl towards the final full explosion where quicksilver has to choose who to get to safety and he is humbled in these moments and goes from the cocksure kid that we saw in the last film to a, a sadder wiser adult and that's not what happens it's sweet dreams are made of these it's a fun little scene but who am I to disagree with Brian Singer? And you know who else used this song? Which I love, by the way, because I love the Eurythmics, I love Annie Lennox, but you know who else used this song? Only Zack Snyder. And then we find out Havoc's dead. And Cyclops goes, No! No! Let's still have fun with Quicksilver. So tonally missed. Just you, you, you don't know what you're doing. Writer, director, incompetent. Pisses me off, this stuff does. Sorry, uh, go, Jerome. What are you, what are you, say? you see, what happened is everybody, you know, we all like that uh, that um, Days of Future Past scene with Quicksilver, you know? Him, time in the bottle. Time in the bottle, yes. Um, now, the, the, as Alex said, uh, the tone at the time is everybody's going to die. Everybody, like a bunch of children are going to die. And Quicksilver comes in like it's not even that he's like messing with some guy's hair he's going Ooh, I don't like you two kissing at each other and he, he he's having it's, it's like the guy doesn't understand urgency even though Quicksilver is the sort of person who does take things seriously when he needs to that's what makes him so good mm. 
and he somehow he manages to save everybody everybody oh, never except m- for Havoc who blew himself yeah. up never mind like not quite sure how he got down into um Cerebro totally locked basement yeah he, he went he went all the way down there and started down there and went upwards for some reason and um yet he missed Havoc even though I, I don't care like he seemed to get there before the explosion started so how would he miss Havoc it doesn't even make any sense on a time scale. And I'm still not clear if the world just moves slow for him constantly, or is that just like every nap when he's actually paying attention, like when he's focused on it? It moves as slow or as fast as the narrative calls for, for just that one scene. And then later on, Sharon, by the way, he also beats up Apocalypse so quickly and resoundingly. He's just like, bang, 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 left, right. There's so like, wow, we don't need like Bob Chipman point this out. We don't need any more X Men. That's why yeah. he was like sent home with it after. Well, thank you for that scene. Bye. In the uh, last film, because basically what happens next is Striker comes down. Somehow it's developed a gun that can knock everybody else out and nullify their powers at the same time. Now, including um, Quicksilver, I might add. Yep, who's like sees the world in slow motion and would have time to <laughs> stop that, but apparently not. Because um, yeah. they have to take, a, as Bob pointed out, a sudden detour to Weapon X. So, like, they extend the yeah. film by a good 25 <laughs> minutes for no reason at all. Yeah. Just so that they can get shoehorn Wolverine in there. This Un- is... flipping mm, believable. This scene is only there because they need their Wolverine quota. Because it, yeah. it's just literally a bit of time sink like away from what's actually happening do you think this is a reaction to the fact that Civil War got Spider-Man because it's not the same thing no. finally we get an X-Men movie with Wolverine I mean if it was they would have put Deadpool they would have like alluded to Deadpool that wouldn't even have made sense time wise yeah but then it would be Deadpool that would be Deadpool yeah, breaking into the movie he'd come in and say up and he was like hey you're probably wondering but why I'm, I'm here because I don't exist. Ah, <laughs> oh god, I so wish I was watching no. Deadpool, talking about Deadpool. Like Deadpool's one of my favourite films of the year. Now, I, I know I know we're sort of all over the place, and I keep doing this, but um, now when Quicksilver wakes up in that room where it's nullified all their powers, why isn't he immensely freaked out because the world is moving at the, its correct speed for him? Because he should like with no control over it. He said he's just wisecracking again. Yeah, because like one of the things they do with the Flash is at least in the cartoon I remember is that he's actually scared that he'll go so fast the world will stop. So when things start to speed up, he like it's a massive like it's world changing for someone. Like imagine if your world suddenly stopped, like somebody put the fast forward button on your life. That's what's just happened to Quicksilver, and yet he's perfectly fine with it. This is You Got Another Thing Coming by Judas Priest from 1982. Also, the whole the scene with the explosion and Quicksilver helping everyone kind of called into question, why doesn't he do that yeah like what's he gonna do with eternity if not help people 
God's sake, how many years has he, ten years, he has wasted doing nothing. The amount of people he could basically Superman out of their situations. Ugh. But, you know, just because it's cool, we've got to keep having these scenes. <laughs> so, anyway, they do the whole Wolverine Weapon X thing with the headgear and his mind's been messed up. Gene snaps him out of it. He runs out into the snow. Some of the X-Men get stuck. Not before Wolverine has time to murder literally everybody except for Stryker and the X-Men. Yeah. Weapon X Wolverine has been... Like, I'm assuming he's been there for ten years, because if you remember, yep. he got taken by Stryker at yep. the end of the, the last one. He's just been there. Oh, hang, hang on, no, that doesn't make any sense. He was taken by Mystique at the end of the last one. Dressed as... Stry- you know what? One that, too many yellow-eyed mystiques. Let's not you know go there. Like, they always put the end. The end is like, oh, actually, it's not that person. It's Mystique. Actually, um, they did one too many there, and actually, they screwed up the plot. Cat eyes. Because what Mystique actually did was trudge around the world, being bored and pissed off, much like Jennifer Lawrence. Because basically, she has turned up at this point for no real reason, so that uh, Jennifer Lawrence can walk around there, increasing the likelihood of more teenage girls going to see this film. That's it. So, oh, this film is just, it's all over the place. While that's happening, mm-hmm. Apocalypse does his whole message to the world and Charles like twists it just a bit to say mutants protect people. While he's doing that, he sends like a small psychic message to Jean that only she can hear, telling them where he is and everything. So now they're, they've got their... And Jean explains that to the audience in words, just yep. in case we didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Then they get their new fancy ship from Stryker, who's disappeared somehow. And um, they've got their suits that you see in the movie, because um, they needed to get them somehow. And yeah. they leave off to find these, fight these mutants, leaving without the weapons that were specifically designed to stop mutants. <laughs> that worked on them perfectly fine, so... Just saying. I think you're forgetting their battlefield abilities that they already have, like beasts slightly more agility than a regular person, the ability to be blue, uh, Mystique's ability to be blue, and to be able to make herself look like Senator Kelly. That comes in useful on the battlefield. We don't need mutant-stopping weapons. The bit where Charles is talking to the whole world, the, the Apocalypse and his cronies, his four horsemen. By the way, which one of them is Pestilence? None of them. <laughs> they, they're not... I I don't think you understand that Brian Singer doesn't know that the four horsemen of the apocalypse have a theme and the apocalypse <laughs> really likes that theme. He that's, really does. Like he really <laughs> likes that theme. That's that's why Angel looks like an angel of death. Yeah. But um obviously he just Brian Singer should be war for God's sake. Yeah, but um they're just so, Psylocke, you're pretty thin, so you're Bannon, so, uh, sorry, Storm, you drew the short straw, your <laughs> pestilence. Yeah, the person who was literally seen as a god to people because she provided life and sustenance is pestilence. So, before this apocalypse and his cronies are just sort of standing on a big rock while he's talking to Charles, and on this rock, I mean, of all of them, I noticed Psylocke was standing in her spiky heels. Olivia Munn, again, was sort of like, okay, so what am I doing today, Brian? Oh, I'm standing. I'm just standing. Same as I've been doing for 87% of this film so far. Just standing in my stiletto boots. 
on top of this rock. How the hell am I going to get down from here? You're a ninja. I'm not actually a ninja, though. You do realize that. And a ninja wouldn't wear these heels! Oh, by the way, um, when uh, Storm's hair starts out black and Apocalypse, like, boosts her power and it goes white. Yeah. That didn't happen in the previous timeline. So how the hell did it go white? Oh. Uh, she got a dye job, Alex. <laughs> yeah, of course. This was before um, dye was invented and became true. popular. Um, and Apocalypse <laughs> tries to jump into Charles's body. Because, you know, if you want to be in someone's body... It's, it's going to be in the, the guy who can't and walk. He cannot use his legs. <sighs> that, ah, but no offense to people who can't use their legs out there. Ah, but like, if you could jump into someone else's body, would you choose someone who could have legs? Ah, but you forget. Apocalypse alters your body somehow when he transfers yes. into you because you get all because, he gets all the powers. Because science and Bo are going to have many powers. <laughs> Right way. My ninja sense is telling me we might be heading in the wrong direction. Okay, hang on, guys. I'll use my special power to see into the future and find out where we should head next. Hold on, you guys. I actually have another power. I can see into the future too, but better than Kaya. Let me try. God damn it, Carmen! You can't keep making up powers. Yeah, dude, that's like the fifth power you've come up with. I am Burag, and I have lots and lots of powers. No, asshole. From now on, you only get to have one power. So what is it? I have the power to have all the powers I want. That doesn't count, fat ass. Yeah, that's it, Carmen. You don't get to have any powers. Um, but yeah, the uh, the the strain of of this Sharon, the strain of getting Apocalypse's bonce inside his bonce, um, makes Charles's hair fall out. Yeah. Oh my this God! This is bald pate origins. This is the origin of Charles's hair. See, it would make more sense if you know. When they did the first body transference, that the guy wasn't already bold and looking like he did already. So, mm. like, just set up, like, yeah. Trent, getting, it makes your hair fall out. Merging with the Apocalypse is, it fucks up the body just a bit. But yeah, no. Because Apocalypse just can't have, like, he may be a supreme being, but he doesn't like to have a, a stylish job on his on top of his head. He doesn't like the flock of seagulls. But I think he just, how, how do we make Charles Xavier bold? Like, it makes no sense how he's how he would become bold right now. I mean... It doesn't matter! <laughs> no, Sharon! Also, like, what, that didn't happen in the original timeline, and, and he's bald when they visit young Jean at the beginning of X-Men 3. Yep. So explain the origin of Charles's bald head then! Explain yourself, Singer, you're talking shit again! Maybe just Charles's hair started thinning out. Isn't that more likely than it fell out because of Apocalypse going into his brain? Hey, how about constant use cerebral sort of messes with his hair? I, or I, he I, just I, shaves this off because the hat's a bit better when you're bald. Making Storm's hair go white because Apocalypse fucked with her. Like, it, See, that takes away the fact that Storm was born naturally with white hair, which made her special before she even developed her mutant powers. This is In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins from 1981. Now, this is actually a piece I really would have used in the film because when Magneto harnesses the Earth's magnetic fields, that's a big event. So you want some like really stirring, memorable music so that not only would you always remember that scene, but you would never be able to hear that song again without thinking of that powerful scene. Instead, it's just wispy fucking particle effects on a computer going blah, 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 blah. And here's some empty cities getting trashed because... Yeah. I can feel it coming in the 
We're not done, guys. <laughs> no, we're not done. Yeah. There's a big fight, by the way, Shan, because there's always going to be, be a big fight. And the whole of Cairo gets fucked up. Oh, Basically, yeah. Magneto starts just tearing shit up. He makes a pyramid out of bloopity bloop. And, like, there's just shit flying everywhere and cars flying everywhere and buildings flying everywhere and it all turns into dust and not a single human body to be seen. Not a drop of blood. Oh, no. They want the destruction, but they don't want the consequences. All of that Cairo stuff, that's Apocalypse by himself. Um, oh, right. Uh, Eric Sting is much worse. He fucks up the entire world. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, like, uh, he's he's pulling bridges down. He's, like, pulling... The, there's a, I mean, uh, a shipyard that gets all of its crates knocked over. And Eric's causing absolute havoc. I mean, at the very least... He the, the souvenir stands next to the Leading Tower of Pisa. At the very least, Apocalypse <laughs> makes something out of what he did. You know, he's made his fancy new pyramid. Eric's just fucking shit up for the sake of fucking shit up. And then there's the final, there's that fight we've all been waiting for, Beast versus Psylocke. Who is going to win this? <laughs> it's been desperate to see this finally realised on screen. Yeah, and Angel is fight, fighting Nightcrawler. Um, to, yeah. let, let's be honest, Nightcrawler would win that fight because teleportation beats the ability to fly in my eyes. <laughs> Also, there is one neat bit where uh, when Angel gets recruited, uh, he's listening to The Four Horsemen by Metallica from the 1983 album Kill 'Em All, which is actually accurate to the year. So, bravo for that little bit. It's not all shit. Oh, I forgot to mention, you know Angel's metal wing, Sharon, and everything? Yeah. Apparently that's just his powers getting amplified. Yeah, having, you know... Your mutant oh. ability was having bird wings, so when the amplified, you like get metal points wings. his finger and he goes, Ah, they're all going metal! <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, uh, so... Apocalypse should have like listened to the Metallica song and gone, So, you like metal, son? <laughs> <laughs> my head Simon Kenberg I mean the whole thing is Apocalypse rips off Angel's old wings and puts in these new ones but they just grow naturally it's stupid but going back to originally where we were before sorry somebody tweeted the other day a picture of uh, uh, the uh, X-Men Apocalypse uh, poster which is Apocalypse holding Mystique aloft by the neck and uh, said that somebody, an old person near to them had just said, why is the, that goblin choking that blue baby? <laughs> I hate those films. <laughs> and frankly, if that's the face of the X-Men, I don't blame you, old sir. Oh, I forgot to say, Sharon. Um, basically, to make them all... The whole thing about Apocalypse, he really likes his themes, so he gives them all new fancy outfits made out of dust stuff, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, still his powers are immensely ambiguous. And With other power. Some, some, for some reason, Angel gets a haircut. I don't mm-hmm. know why. Um, he, he seemed perfectly right. fine with with his wild, unruly hair, but I and think tribal facial tattoos. Yeah, but those. I think Apocalypse has a thing about presentation. Mm. One must always be presenting fine mm. horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> Right. So it's like it's like a military thing. Everybody's got to have short back and sides. Yeah. The, yeah. The prob- Except for Charles, who has to have short back, sides, and top. <laughs> it's, 
It's just weird because um, the thing they sort of set up with Angel, he's this punkish, roguish sort of guy who doesn't give a fuck. But yeah. now he's all... Like, he... Joining the Apocalypse wipes all that and he's the guy with the crew cutting metal wings now. Mm. Is he straight up fucking dead at the end? Like, yes. Nightcrawler crashes the X-Jet and Angel's in it and Angel goes, and dies! Yep. This is Holy Diver by Ronnie James Dio. 1983. So much good music from this era. I never, I don't even think I really bought that it was the 80s. Which is weird, because the last two, they really did kind of root them in that time period. Mm-hmm. And Psylocke just goes, like, once the battle is won, Psylocke goes, I'm not staying around here, and she leaves. Oh, no. She won't be an X-Man. No, you forgot, Alex. Um, we, we need to build up to this. Now, um... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you, you, mean, you mean the Civil War-style battle? Oh, yes, yes. Um, it's so, X-Men versus Horsemen? Yes, uh... Storm versus um, Scott. Storm would win every time. Sorry. Yes, she um, would. That's actually literally happened in the comics. She beat him without powers. Because that's how much of a badass Storm is. Psylocke versus... She had her yeah, proper, yeah. like, Mohican heart cut. Yep. Psylocke versus Beast. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Angel versus Nightcrawler. Once again, Nightcrawler would always win. And um, Quicksilver and Mystique go to talk to Magneto. Yeah. Just. And at no point does Quicksilver say, by the way, as sad as you are about losing your, your family, uh, you might be my father. Just just putting it out there. Yeah. He, he, he holds that little nugget back in. And he never tells him at any point. He's just like, mm, uh, I'm your, I'm uh, here for my family. Yeah. And like, oh. and even though they went through the trouble of getting up there and talking to him, they just go right back down to fight Apocalypse. So they didn't have to bother trying to talk to him because it did nothing. Then Psylocke appears, and uh, uh, um, Apocalypse, who's just kicked um, Peter's ass, says, "Right, kill her, Psylocke." And then she slashes his throat because it was mystique all along. Yeah. Yeah. She's using her incredibly useful battlefield power of turning into someone else. <laughs> Don't know where she got the sword from. Yeah. Probably dropped it. Like Sala dropped it, maybe. Maybe. Didn't look like she'd drop it. But... No. <laughs> In fact, I don't think she was using a sword the entire time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, oh, I, w- I will say there is a small little cool sequence where when Kirk finally gets to Charles and teleports him out there, they sort of do the whole, a slight representation of his powers where he, you don't just get the poof like you normally do, you get the warping through a dimension and ending up where you're supposed to be. Like yeah, I like that nice small little visual aspect. Yeah. And Charles is now battling Apocalypse on the psychic plane, by the way. It, it takes the form of the uh, X-Mansion and uh, um, Apocalypse grows to a massive size and then throws this ragdoll around that was Charles. Yeah. Squashes um, him down. That that fight would take a lot longer because Charles is really good at psychic battles, guys. Like, yeah. They, and the, I, I know the, Apocalypse uh, is strong, but he, it would take a bit of a while for him to get used to the most powerful psychic on the planet at that point. 
While the most powerful psychic on the planet has a mean right hook, Charles' psychic battle takes the form of Charles punching Apocalypse repeatedly. Yeah. In his brain. Yeah. So, um, then, then, like, basically, this is one of those fights, Sharon, where everyone's using their power only when they're called for, and basically when the action's <laughs> taking place, everyone's sort of hanging back and doing nothing at all. You know how in the Avengers, during the New York section, while it might seem like mayhem, everyone's always moving, everyone's always doing something. Whereas this is more like a D&D session where everybody has to wait patiently for their turn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. And Gene has been standing around like a wet lettuce the whole film. And uh, Charles goes, Help me! Quicksilver does this whole thing. Apocalypse manages to adjust to it. Tracks his leg, leg. Breaks his leg. Tries to get Psyche to cut, cut his head off. Turns out it's Mystique. Um, He's about to kill her, and I was like, wow, a fox actually going to get out of their contractual obligation with Jennifer Lawrence yeah. by killing her? And then, um, all of a sudden, Magneto, Magneto decides, hey, I like Mystique. She's in no. danger now. I, I know I was trying to destroy everybody on the planet, but now I'm going to try and stop this guy, because... sort of had a change of heart. Yeah, because reasons... And Nothing so, really was said. There was no, there was no real emotion on my face. In fact, I looked kind of bored. And get this, he puts down a big old X in metal girders in front of where Charles is. So it, it says clang, clang. <laughs> so now they're fighting in front of a giant X, and yep. um, he's just throwing metal at a. Um, so apocalypse. much metal he's just throwing shards of metal at Apocalypse and the, and the metal is just sort of melting away into nothing just, it's dissolving and I'm like where is this mass going? because ambiguous powers Alex because powers I had the power to have many powers yes. so yeah in his mind Charles has been stomped down right in front of uh, the, the room for Cerebro and I knew what was going to come out of the room for Cerebro and Charles was like help me I knew what was going to come out yeah, and, um, and I knew it was going to affect me, and uh, uh, this was the bit that um, some folks have mentioned is worth sticking around for. It still wasn't worth sticking around for, and it just sort of happens and then stops. But what do you think happens, Sharon? Who comes out of Cerebro to help them? To, to kick oh Apocalypse's God. ass back to the Stone Age? I, I honestly don't know. Well, we're going to need an incredibly powerful psychic. Right who's been there the whole time just not doing anything yeah yeah Jean comes out and she's wearing exactly the same kind of paintballing costume and she goes A boom orange phoenix oh, oh, oh. Okay. No. Yep. X Men Three. We're doing it way better. Phoenix. They fucking screwed up Phoenix again. Yes. Yeah, kinda. Yes. Mm. I'm done. It's not so much that they screwed it up. Like, it's actually a really good moment because yeah. she's doing it for, for good. And like, basically, Charles says, "No fear. Like, don't be afraid of your powers anymore." Even though you could fry the brains of everybody on this planet, because uh, maybe maybe do be afraid of your powers. See, well, I was going to say that's kind of the whole point of the Phoenix Saga is that it, it takes her over. Yeah, there's like a half dozen other X Men around here who could definitely help kill Apocalypse. I I've got a bone to pick here. Now, 
<laughs> Jean, she's an immensely powerful psychic. And the Phoenix yep. is a powerful force. Now, the reason why Phoenix wants Jean is because she's fucking powerful without the Phoenix. Like, you don't need to do the whole Phoenix thing for Jean to be powerful. Mm. She's already that powerful. And Phoenix is... Like, Phoenix is around for cosmic level things. Like, going against Thanos, that's when Phoenix comes into thing. Not when you're just fighting this weird fucking... I He's have on all the, ropes the anyway. Yeah, and it didn't mm. feel warranted. It just felt like, look, we're gonna be X Men three, and we like it's the waste of the whole Phoenix thing. Like when they come out of the Return of the Jedi, Jubilee goes, Empire was the best. It was the darkest and most complex. Cyclops goes, yeah, but without the first one, you'd have never had any Star Wars. Brilliant. Thanks, Scott. Shut up, Scott. Uh, and Gene says snidely, well, everyone knows the third one was worse. Oh, yeah. I forgot. We forgot to tell you, Sharon. Um, they just take uh, Kurt out to the mall as if it's no big deal and just dress no. him up like Michael Jackson and everybody's fine with it. No image inducer. Nada. It's not like Kurt's the guy who's constantly afraid of being treated like a demon because he looks like a demon and really goes into public because of this fact. Yeah. Just put on some Michael Jackson clothes. It's the 80s. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, Gene comes and roasts the shit out of Apocalypse. He turns into a fucking skeleton. It's like, right, well, I guess Apocalypse is dead then. Okay. So I guess Apocalypse won't have much bearing on Cable's story then. Mm-hmm. When he turns up in uh, Deadpool. What the fuck? Well, guys? Deadpool I mean, lives in his own universe, thankfully. Does he? Well, I'm saying he does. Yeah. So. <laughs> Let's call this a separate series, shall we? Until proven otherwise. Um, okay, so. That's it. Yeah. Sharon, that's it. It, go, it cuts back to the X Mansion, and Mystique's sort of like who is still very much alive has now joined the X Men again. Oh, marching around. It's it's and announced to the world that Magneto helped save the world. So it's okay then. Yeah, help save the world. You know that world that he put in danger. Was and then Charles goes, "So, uh, do you want to join the X Men?" And he goes, "No." Nah. And then buggers off, and it's like, "Why?" Yeah, guess I'm I'll just see gonna... you again when you become another terrifying global <laughs> threat. Eric, bye. You you know how in all the other movies where um, Charles and Eric say like their goodbyes, like they just keep doing it, and I don't think Charles like I know Charles is an optimist, but at some point he's got to think, hey, every single time I let this guy go, he tries to kill immense amounts of people. Maybe I should, you know, convince him to stay this time. And Eric, oh, it's a fast bender, just says, ah, doesn't it make you afraid that they'll come for you in the middle of the night? Remember that thing McCannon said? Mm-hmm. And uh, McAvoy goes, Stuart. See you later. Next time we called up to do the same shit again. And then you have Jennifer Lawrence, not Mystique. This I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not calling her Mystique anymore. So Jennifer Lawrence does the whole... Oh, your ex, you're not barking at at them. Yeah, you must be prepared for anything. Yeah, you're not teenagers. You're you're X Men now. You're X Men. And we've built this danger room somehow with the ambiguous funding that we have from no one. And nobody's coming after us because we're harboring a genocidal maniac and and people who are constantly putting us all in danger. 
at least one genocidal maniac. And then the danger room starts up, and the X-Men are oh my god, oh, a bunch of sentinels. Alex, we, we, we forgot. Storm's just there now. Everybody's okay yeah. with everything she's done. And well, it worked for Scarlet Witch. Why didn't it work for Storm? Because that had lots of conversations. It's literally Pietro it's standing there with a great Ultron. They're all just like, "Right, well, this is the new X Men lineup." Only you know the the end of Age of Ultron where it's like they, they all turn up and he goes Avengers, and then he goes uh, and it's like ah ha ha because it's Joss Whedon, and this is like Mystique barking miserable orders and looking like she really doesn't want to be there. Well, what actually like before the. You've got Eric and Jean putting the house back together. You've got Pietro outside with his broken leg outside, talking to Storm as if, oh, we're good friends now. Yeah, you didn't try to kill a bunch of people. And Pietro says, um, yeah, I think I might stay here. Yeah, yeah, Storm says. Me too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess they're sort of... Uh, we're Pietro's. Pietro's in his late 20s, so I guess he gets to be one of the older X-Men. And uh, Havoc... Didn't even see his body. He just got obliterated. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the X-Men continues. But the really disturbing fucking thing is that this, this Danger Room simulation starts up. And she, she goes, you know, you're X-Men. And, like, like she's really being hard on them. And Charles is sort of glaring at them through the doorway, sitting in his chair, all bald and that. And the doorway closes. And it goes, clang. And that's a really horribly tonally mismanaged ending because basically it's like Charles going right. They might die in this simulation. Hey ho! <laughs> and that's it. Like he's dead inside. It is not. He's not going. I hope no one gets hurt, but I must train them. He's not saying that or thinking that. He's just glaring at them and going right. Fucking deal with that, Sentinels. He's over, Oops, and we all uh, get to go the home. At the end, then there's someone searching through all the ruins of the Weapon X thing. Uh, I didn't stay for this because I had to leave. Me either. I was sick in my mouth. And um, uh, yeah, apparently, as yeah, at the end, and someone's searching around, and they pick up all the special blood, and then they go, "Oh, I can't, I'll have some of this summer special blood, and I'll have some of this grey special blood, the and then they put it in a, I'll have some of this Logan special blood because I want to have some of that too." And I'll have some of this Deadpool special blood. And I'll have some of this Cable special blood. And some Apocalypse special blood, definitely. I'll have some of that. And um, they close the case. And what does it say on the case, Shan? What does it say on the case? Um, pass. Who's interested in Grey and Summers and their special blood? Oh, um, Nathaniel Essex. Yes, Essex Industries. <gasps> Whole audience goes, oh my god! And you don't get to see who it is, but if it's not Jason Isaacs, they missed a trick. Mr. Sinister. Um, yeah, well done. Just... Okay. Uh, X-Men First Class is a great movie. Mm -hmm. Deadpool is a great movie. Uh, the Wolverine and X-Men Days of Future Past are both good movies. Yep. Everything else just... I think I'm still okay with X-Men 2. I don't hate it. The, the ending troubles the shit out of me. But uh, it's got a, it's, it's smart enough going there through. There are parts I still like of X2. Not totally stupid. Okay. Um, it's better than this. But uh, yeah, this is not a great series. And 
I, I really wish it would stop. I really, really wish Marvel would have control over this. For God's sake, I am so well, fucking sick of Fox fucking this up. Well, um, you you know Marvel have given up on the mutants of stop the X-Men comics, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So... But just the joy with which they handled Spider-Man recently. You know, just give them back Fantastic Four and X-Men, everybody will be happy. See, what they're doing is they're focusing more on the inhuman stuff to replace the mutant stuff. Yeah. And they, there's a, a new mutants coming down the road, which might might be might be good. More teenagers, man. Yeah. Everything which doesn't feature Brian Singer and in like anything which doesn't have Simon Kinberg writing, but maybe has him producing, because I think he's like he's the godfather of these projects. I'll be more interested in, but it's why it's still going. Chipman put it, it, it like unironically championing Hawk the Slayer after Lord of the Rings had come out. <laughs> we've got better than this and we've had better than this for years so that's X-Men Apocalypse did we miss anything Jerome? Um, who cares it's just bad anyway <laughs> I'm sorry I should I'm sorry if we sounded really miserable and down on it folks I, I really did, didn't I, I was trying to keep it fun mm. But I just, I, I think the point when I was like, oh, I want to stop, I want to stop watching this fucking film, was actually when Charles and Havoc went to see Moira. That was the first conversation that I was just so boneheaded and so stupid. Ever since the world found out about mutants in 73, there have been cults who see them as some kind of second coming or sign of God. I was tracking one of them. They call themselves a sheer N. Sevenur, named after an ancient being they believe to be the world's first. World's first what? the world's first mutant. These describe a specific set of powers greater than any man could possess. An all-powerful mutant. Exactly. And wherever this being was, he always had four principal followers, disciples, protectors he would imbue with powers. Like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He got that one from the Bible. Or the Bible got it from him. This ridiculous boneheaded scene just carries on and on and on moira says something and then either charles or alex says something like the same thing much simpler so like when they go the apocalypse charles goes the end of the world but in that context it's apocalypse previously called an apocalypse at least once before which was the end of the world well obviously it's not the end of the world charles you're still around all like okay if you have to explain to your audience that apocalypse means the end of the world they are not going to get anything else in this there is so much hand holding and like super dramatic you know this is the thing with the stuff just it you can't treat people as though they're this stupid anymore i mean you can but if you do, I'm going to rip you to pieces. The first one. The first what? The first mutant. It's like the Independence Day 2 trailer for the, the, it's over the Atlantic. Where exactly? Over all of the Atlantic. It's like that bit in the the, hap, the, 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 the happening. Where it's like, we lost contact. With who? 
everyone. Just like, just like someone says something, someone else asks exactly the right question for the first person to say something that sounds really profound but is actually really stupid. They're only being, they're only saying that so that they could say it for the trailer. Here's what an actual person would say. We've lost contact with everyone. It's more complex than you might think, actually writing naturalistic dialogue that sounds like something someone would say. The X-Men in particular is a comic series that's been plagued with clunky scripting, at least before the 21st century. But a really good way of testing yourself is to, to read through it aloud, read through it with other people. Just, you know, don't wait till you're actually there on the night and people are delivering these awful lines and, and go, well, you know, it's, if it's in the script, then it's in the film. This always burns me up because the writing, the scripting, the, the actual the skeleton of the film is the least expensive, most straightforward thing that you can really work on ahead of schedule and get right before you start anything else. I don't understand why time and time again really solid action blockbusters, they copy the look, they copy motifs and styles and certain effects, but they never look at the fact that the really solid ones have really good dialogue, really good scripts, and re just like they're really solid in that regard. That is not the thing they copy, and I don't understand why. We're past that now. This is a relic. So whenever I see this kind of crap, I just all my hackles just stand up on end. I, I hope you guys can understand as a writer why this burns me up inside. We, I forgot to mention her. Another quite nice bit is when she meets Charles. She's like, so it's like, oh, Charles Xavier, I've been looking forward to really meeting you. And he's like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's nice to meet you again. I mean, for the first time. And he literally <laughs> says that. And then at the end, he goes, yeah, um, I remember being on a beach with you, sir. And she's like, what beach? And he goes, fum. And he puts all those memories back in her head and she cries. And then and what she does is says, oh, it's too late now. I have a kid. Yeah. She doesn't actually kid. do that, but um, she's named Proteus. He's going to have some <laughs> problems coming up soon. Yeah, Olivia Williams' character in uh, X Men Three was in her sixties, looking okay. pretty good. Hmm. Handsome woman. Yeah, I think that we've covered everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, stop giving Brian Singer money. Stop making these X Men films. Give yeah. them to Marvel, or just go back to the drawing board and just start again. And just, just, just like fucking wipe the slate clean. But they can't, and they won't. They're hooked and obsessed with this timeline, which doesn't even work. When you write it down on paper, it doesn't even work. Because the problem is, they did the whole reset thing and just doubled down on the fuckery. Because <laughs> what most people do is when when they do a time like. Okay, all that never happened. We've got a clean slate. A clean slate. Look at that. You already gave me the clean slate, so you can go. The clean slate. The ultimate tool for a master thief with a record. I already know what it is. The clean slate. It wipes your record clean. Clean as a clean slate. Shut up about the clean slate. Just go. But what they said is, let's just, who gives a fuck? Let's do what we want. Yeah. So like Terminator Genesis then? Exactly like Terminator Genesis. Yes. Actually, exactly like Terminator Genesis. God.
But th- Except for Apocalypse didn't send Wolverine back in time to stop himself. Yeah. This is worse because Terminator Genesis, like they're gonna make it they're gonna reboot again, again, again after Terminator <laughs> Genesis because it was so disappointing and everybody hated it. But they're gonna keep going with this. That's oh. why I'm, that's why it bothers me so much. It's not that bad a movie, it's just rubbish and stupid. It's just uh, that it won't it's stop. Going to carry on. Like, like, it doesn't matter how rubbish or stupid it is. They'll just keep going. So, yeah. Let, let us know on the forum what your favourite bits of this film were. <laughs> there was that one bit at the beginning where one of the horsemen of the apocalypse, like, squished a guy, like, like telekinetically went, Hoing! and, like, crushed him into a little ball. I was like, ew. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she's, she was pretty cool. Too bad we don't know anything about her. Yeah, and she essentially she was she essentially saved Apocalypse life. Like the only reason he's alive is because of her. And he is does, Apocalypse he the did, worst X Men villain, by the way. Yeah, well, yeah, I think so. What's his motivation? He's got so many powers, no motivation. Uh, oh, you mean comics, cartoon, or in this? I just mean in this. Oh, he he wants he. he he, he's pissed off they missed that he was asleep this whole time hmm. that's literally oh, no, hang on, hang on. He the was worst su- X-Men villain is, is uh, Madame Hydra or Viper in uh, The Wolverine she oh, was rubbish. you meant worst in terms of quality in the movies yeah just like in terms of like worst like sat watching the, the shit yeah. play out Viper yeah because she ruined the ending of uh, what you know, that potentially could have been quite a good ending mm. Oh, I forgot to say the cor- the correlation I made between X Men Three and this one is that Magneto suddenly realizes, oh, what have I done? This is a bad thing now. I'm not an adult who knows about moral choices. Yeah, I just react to as and when I decide to. I went back to the trailer for Days of Future Past and watched the one with, with the uh, reorchestrated version of uh, Kashmir and the other one with the, the sunshine music and I remembered how incredibly emotionally involved I was with that because the last time we'd seen these characters really was uh, X-Men First Class yeah. so I had so much hope for the future and this like I enjoyed the film a lot yeah you know it, in recent viewings it's, it's got its problems but it's 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 still a solid film this is such a drop off yet the end of Days of Future Past leaves you hopeful and wait a minute wait wait (laughs) I'm just remembering at the end of Danger Future Past yeah Wolverine's in he's got hold on um uh oh what doesn't Wolverine wake up in in, future yeah in his what would be his normal current timeline with Xavier yeah. and in the new timeline, so, I think it was like it was actually the same exact year as the, that he left before, but everything's changed. Yeah, I originally said it couldn't be that late, but it totally is. And Jean and Scott are there, and everybody's there. Yeah. So wait, is that an alternate timeline, or is that actually going to happen? Because Simon Kinberg says that anything can happen now. Oh, I'd kill anyone. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and on that bombstaff. <laughs> so, what do you like? What What are your thoughts on this film now that we've said everything about it? Because we've talked and talked and talked, and like, I really want to hear from what you have to say, from what you you're getting on this second hand. Well, uh, it just. 
And right, okay. To, gets angry, by the way. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, from from the trailers to the early reviews to you know what people have said about it, without wanting to give away any spoilers, to everything that you've said today, all I can think is, what was the point? What have you achieved? All you're doing is spinning out this franchise that had a shot in the arm when you did first class and it's been kind of coming down from that ever since and you're clearly not going to do anything special with it you're not going to do anything um where's that fantastic four crossover you keep promising kinberg i i I just clearly the way that they got deadpool to be any good was by taking it away from the core team yep so you know these people can't make anything magnificent out of what is a potentially magnificent property um i don't want to say give it to marvel because marvel have got so much on their plate right now that i think if you added the x-men to that it would just get way too convoluted and maybe further down the line when they've started to to kind of thin their heroes out a little bit and they want to add some more complexity but not right now but how far would fox have run the x-men into the ground by that point how many storylines would have been butchered how many like will they revisit like the next one's apparently set in space so that'll be the proper phoenix saga how many more times are they going to do it look my suggestion would be this just stop just stop (laughs) but money sharon well but is it making them so much money that it's worth it these films are not cheap to produce you know they're having to invest a sizable amount in fairly lackluster rate of return it's certainly not giving them what marvel's getting which is clearly what they want um the problem is they're still tangentially they're still tangentially attached to marvel so the layman still thinks oh wait that is that's a marvel movie right chipman said he's not a subscriber to superhero fatigue and neither am i as far as i'm concerned it's like just leave marvel out of that whole superhero fatigue argument and then suddenly it's totally valid because the X-Men and DC uh, together and Fantastic Four and everything else that seems to be uh, emer- crawling out trying to chase the Marvel dollars. And al- also the, like, the cinematic universes that are now cropping up. Transformers slash Mask slash G.I. Joe now. Well, no, That's I, I dis- fatiguing totally. But yes, it Marvel is, but I, now I disagree. More, more of a seal of quality. I disagree that you can put that under the umbrella of superhero fatigue. Mm. It's not superhero fatigue. It is shit movie fatigue. Ah. It is nothing new. It has been around for decades. Unfortunately, because superheroes are what people are building their their big long series around, people think that that's the, the combining factor and it's post hoc ergo proctor hoc. It's not. They're shit. They're just shit. It doesn't matter what they were about. They could be about earthquakes. They could be about soldiers. They can be yeah, about superheroes. They're shit. Film, you're not going to get a character leap out in a blue leotard and go, oh, who's that then? That's Psylocke, apparently. Why should I care about Psylocke? Well, she's got a big comic following. Well, I don't know who she is. And that's what people who don't read X-Men feel when they watch these movies. And I completely get that. If the right, movie so- is of a low quality, I can see why you get fatigued. Okay, but again, it's oh, not... By the way, Exodus of Future Past, $200 million it cost, $747 million it made. So it, they're not stopping. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, it's. It, I still say it's not about um, the superheroes. If, if people are complaining about that whole it's a pre-existing property, then frankly, they're just bitching about the fact that they don't know the backstory, in which case it's easy to solve that, mate. Get yourself some comics and read up on the backstory or shut up and stop watching the films. <laughs> Stop watching the films is probably a good idea because that means that less films like this will get made and the films that you should go and see, such as, oh, I don't know, Civil War, um, are totally worth watching whether, you, like, whether you've read the comics or not, ultimately, because you're invested in the already pre-existing universe. Yeah, I, and it annoys me when people start going on about this, this genre fatigue thing as well because there are shed loads of other films out there. You're just not going to see them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to... Carry on with that point, Pete. Here's a public service announcement for all of you. If you want to see Oscar Isaac in a great movie, go see, watch Ex Machina. Like, that is a hidden gem that people have not seen so much, and he is phenomenal in there. Watch that. Don't You don't need to see this. Just rent or buy Ex Machina. I'm trying to think of another film oh, with and another one of these. Star Wars! Just see... Yeah. Uh, um, I, I meant if you've seen you've Star seen Wars, them in yeah. Star, Wars. Seen Star Wars like <laughs> you, f- you feel like seeing Oscar Isaac again after seeing them Star Wars watch X Machina and don't worry and I, I only recently saw this but uh, it seems I think Josh said this it seems Marvel are continuing to help rescue those who play um, Johnny Storm because guess who's going to be in the next Black Panther movie? I want to see Jordan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we saw Creed the other day. Uh, one of my favourite films mm. of the year. We're going to be reviewing it very soon, along with all the Rocky films. He's an excellent actor. Yeah, yeah, he really is. My God, that gets, that's a good one. I so wish we were just talking about Creed instead. <laughs> okay, that's coming though, folks. We're not, we're not going to deny it from you. We just needed time to review the Rocky films after having watched Creed, you know, because I didn't want to like, speculate on what was going to happen. I, I wanted to see it first, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, yeah, those are coming. Um, anything else? We'll be done. No, I think we're done. Okay. I'm looking forward to Doctor Strange. Yes, yes, I am too. <laughs> Just, uh, I'm, I'm making random statements now. So yeah, I, I think we are. Done. <laughs> we are indeed done. Okay, thank you so so much, Jerome. And uh, where can they find you if they want to listen to more of your stuff? You can find me over at Game Burster, where we do a twice weekly show on Thursday. It's a roundtable, uh, an unplugged, a quiz, a played. Or you can find us on Sundays every week where we do the news. It's kind of perfect that Metallica turn up in an X-Men film at last because one of the first times I really started getting into them was playing the Sega Mega Drive version of X-Men, which had some fairly horrible music, so I spent the time listening to And Justice For All on a loop. It's a fantastic metal album. I thoroughly recommend it. Way better than Kill 'Em All. Okay, uh, that we have been uh, Alex and Sharon. No, oh, um, what music are we going to end on? Oh, let, let's let, let's end on the Four Horsemen by Metallica. They'll drive them nuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And schools, schools out. out.
I got two more things to add just for the end here because they just occurred to me after I'd already put the podcast out. I was like, well, I've got to go back and add these because they're too juicy. One is um, <laughs> at the end of the movie, they're putting the expansion back together as Magneto and Jean using their magnetic and telekinetic powers and they're sort of lifting it up in the air like you in like Lego blocks and sort of laying it back down again. It's like, oh, that's really nice. Let's just hope all the kids don't wander on inside the mansion. As soon as Jean and Eric let go, the whole thing's going to collapse again. Because you know what you need? Mortar. You need cement. You need wet stuff that then becomes gluey, that then becomes solid. You can't just put bricks and windows back on top of each other. You idiots. It's perfect, though. It is a perfect scene, emblematic of the X-Men series. It looks like an X-Mansion, but there's nothing holding it together. It's just a facade. And the other thing is, uh, I don't know if you guys in America have got the same uh, thing over there, but we get Sky broadband commercials over here, and the one that is all over YouTube, and that was at the cinema before we saw uh, Civil War, was um, a quick silver one. And it's like, he's like, they hug in the broadband again, eh? That is so uncool. It's always so slow. What we need, what we need is a little speed. Uh, we got to scale the sky broadband. Well, uh, let's take that X-Man with the Walkman and make him do that thing he did where he was dancing around the old ruins in that movie where he was listening to that piece of music. <laughs> yes, that was a good one. All the children liked that one. Oh, I was going to say what we need is sky fiber. It's even faster than you. Really? Fast enough for you? Demand more. Switch to extraordinary Sky Fiber. Sky. Well, even better. There's two possibilities here. Either the marketers putting this commercial together got confused, and like the impression I was doing just there were just sort of befuddled old men going, oh, I don't really know what the children are watching, but we'll do that. And we'll... Or they did it on purpose. They deliberately stole goodwill from another film in a completely different series to sell their shitty Sky Broadband. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I just, I, I don't. <clears throat> Having said all of this, I would like on some level to be challenged by someone who truly loves this film i want to be told why it's appealing because this this concept baffles me i can understand like people clinging to batman v superman because it it scratches some itch for them no i can't understand that i'm lying i am lying that's a big lie that's that's me trying to play both sides i i can't understand why people like beavis dodge either i don't know i just I, it's like swahili it is it is a completely different language to me but if you do want to um uh, let me and the rest of the uh, folks know why you loved x-men apocalypse or indeed just join in the discussion come on over to the School of Movies Forum, and I realise I am not the best ambassador for it right now. But I've recently overhauled the forum. I was going to kill the forum because uh, I was thinking, oh, I spend more, more time on here and I should be, you know, pushing Facebook and, and other forms of social media should be on YouTube. But um, you know what? The forum is a safe, nice place with some good people. So uh, I, they're safer and nicer than me. So I will at least say they should be your ambassadors. Ah. <sighs> Stick a fork in me, or stick Wolverine's claws in me, I am done with the X-Men.
No, not forever. I'll, I'll watch the next one. But, but if Brian Singer's directing it and Simon Kinberg's writing it, you may as well just listen to this show again because the results are going to be the same. It's the definition of madness if we keep putting these same men in place and expecting different results. So here's a little treat for you. One more song I would have put in the movie. She Self Sanctuary by The Cult, 1985. Raw! 